Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here. And uh, before we jump in today, I want to talk about last week, right? Last week was about music. So were you able to connect to Jesus this last week? Um, I did. I did every day. Like I tried. And some days were better than others. But I tried every day to incorporate music in ways that sometimes were uncomfortable, sometimes frustrating, because I don't normally listen to music as often as I did last week. And um, But the highlight for me was Monday. Um, it was the day off, and I went on a long, long run. And instead of my normal podcast and lectures I like to listen to for stimulation, I listened to a playlist of songs that I have enjoyed throughout my entire Christian life. So that goes back um, over 25 years. And it was incredible. Like I rejoiced and got to re-experience some moments that are associated in my life with certain songs um, and just re-experience God's love through the process, like coming face to face with God again through some songs. I also, on my run, grieved and mourned um, in tears at times with songs that brought up my failures from the past and the present. And it was a really powerful time where God met me on the path of music and singing. And, um, and so, and I know that I would not have had that experience if we weren't doing this thing with Lent. I just wouldn't. Cause, and so I want to encourage you to jump in. Um, this was a stretch for me last week. I didn't want to do what I was doing and yet I did. And God met me there. And so jump in with us for the rest of Lent and, like, um, and, and just walk with us and pursue Jesus in these different ways because you might find that there's a part of you that comes awake, that comes alive, that uh, maybe has lain dormant or you didn't even know existed. And so please come with us as we walk toward Easter. Um, today, we're going to talk about friendships and relationships. Um, these are so important. So I want to just get your mind thinking along the lines of friendships and relationships. First, um, Mike talked about fellowship. Fellowship is this old word, and I, and I read something about it that it, it actually, it's got a very interesting definition. It's actually, it's an old word that means two fellows on the same ship. <laughs> um, so it's from olden times. Um, you have people, a crowd of people that get on a boat, like traveling across the Atlantic from the old world to the new world, the new world to the old world. They're heading in the same direction and they get to know each other on this ship. And so fellowship is two fellows on a ship getting to know each other, heading in the same direction. Um, and so that's part of what friendship is. Um, just another thought about this is that the absence of friendships and relationships is isolation. And isolation is actually a form of torture. Um, isolation is not good. Um, Dave and Becky Freeze have come and done some Love Matters relationship seminars with us, and they've talked about the universal attachment needs that every human being has. Um, and they would say these things come from us being made in God's image. But one of our attachment needs is that we all need to know that we matter. Like we all need to know that we matter. And human beings, I mean, that happens in relationships. Typically, it's we need to know that we matter to someone else. And so without that, we're isolated. And as human beings, God did not make us to be alone. We need people. We need friendships and relationships to be whole. 
Um, and this reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote that, uh, where, he, where he said, C.S. Lewis is an author who said that friendship is born the moment one person says to another, wait, wait, what? Y- you too? You mean I'm not the only one? There's these moments that happen where all of a sudden you realize that you're not alone. Sometimes it's when great things happen and someone else has had that experience and you're bonded, right? But very often it's in the lows of life. It's in the difficulties. It's in the suffering where when we find out that someone else has been through the same kind of suffering that like, you know, all of a sudden we have so much in common and we're heading in a direction and we're lifting each other up and just knowing that we're not alone creates friendship. And so we can't live life on our own and we aren't made to. We need both God and people. God wants us to grow together with other people in relationships. God often shows up in life in our relationships. Um, A lot of people have said that God has become more real to them when they talk to other people about him, right? God sometimes speaks to us through other people. And then God also works through us to be a blessing to others. And so it's both and. Friendships and relationships aren't just about what you get, but it's also about what God wants to give through you. And so that's what we're going to look at today. It's pursuing Jesus through friendships and relationships. This week, give you the bottom line, this week I want all of you to see Jesus in others and to show Jesus to others. I want all of us to enter in and to pursue Jesus this week in this way, to see Jesus in others and to show Jesus to others. And to do this, I want to tell you an absolutely crazy story in the Bible. I mean, it is, it's crazy. It's got, it, it's politics, it's conspiracy, it's tyranny, it's attempted murder. It's, there, there's, a, there's a scene in the story that is literally being retold and copied 3,000 years later today in movies all the time. Okay, Um, we're going to see the relationships that went bad, that produced all of this crazy chaos. And we're going to see the friendship that kept all of this chaos from wiping God's people off the face of the earth. Okay, and so I want to introduce you today to a man named Jonathan. A man named Jonathan. So first, a little backstory. Jonathan's dad was Saul. Saul was chosen to be the king of Israel. God chose him to be Israel's first king. And he was successful when he followed after God because his leadership was filled with God's blessing. But as sometimes happens, um, Saul's success went to his head and he became corrupt. And Saul actually traded God and his authority for himself and his own power and conceit and his own reputation Um, And so Saul rejected God. He stopped following God and he started using his power to serve himself. And God came to Saul several times confronting him, but Saul rejected God and his authority. And so God rejected Saul from being king over Israel and king over God's people. God wanted to replace Saul with someone else who was after his own heart, who's after God's heart. So now Jonathan was Saul's son, and he was a rising star. If you read 1 Samuel, the beginning chapters, 
like Jonathan is this, like is this young guy who is just, he's on the path to success. Um, even while his dad, Saul, even while King Saul is wavering and he's falling, Jonathan is clearly seen as a worthy replacement. You're watching his life and you're thinking, man, he's actually the guy that would be really great if he could take over. Like, how old is Saul again? Like, is he almost on the... I mean, this is kind of what people were thinking, you know? Um, Jonathan is, he's full of faith in God. He is successful against God's enemies and he has wisdom that his dad did not. And so he'd be a great replacement. But God chose someone else. God chose a man who became famous because God chose him. His name is David to replace Saul and become the second king of Israel. And so God anointed David to be the next king. And then David famously fights Goliath. You know, the big battle of David and Goliath? That's in the chapter right before uh, the chapter we're going to start looking at today here in just a second. But David actually saved the whole nation of Israel from literal slavery. If David had failed against Goliath, all of Israel would have become slaves. And the exodus from Egypt where Israel left slavery would have been undone and God's people would have been back in slavery. And so that happens in 1 Samuel 17. And the rest of the story of 1 Samuel is all about Saul's and Jonathan's reactions to David. Okay, that's what the rest of the book is about. It's Saul and Jonathan's reactions to David. And so first, let's talk about Saul. How will Saul react to David's triumph over Goliath? Well, Saul first delighted in David. He rejoiced in David. Saul honored him, praised him, celebrated what he had done. But what about Jonathan? Right, because if you're paying attention, David is now rising. And if David rises, that means that Jonathan has hit a ceiling. And David and Jonathan are now rivals. So how's Jonathan going to respond? Well, Jonathan reacted to the victory of his now rival by also delighting in David. Jonathan also delighted in David. So let's look um, And in this, we begin to see the beginnings of a very compelling friendship. So let's read 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 to 3 first. It's in your bulletin. We'll also have it up on the screens. It says this, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that's David, um, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him, David, that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And so their souls, the souls of David and Jonathan, they were knit together in friendship. They were bonded. They made a covenant together. And Jonathan delighted in David and in David's success. This is big. This is big. Jonathan saw David's success as his own. Do you see that with your friends? When they succeed, you care so much about them that you feel like you've succeeded. The Bible says that all of the people in that that follow God are part of a family. 
right, brothers and sisters. There's even a place, though, in the New Testament where it says that all of the people that follow Jesus are actually part of one body. Like some are arms, some are legs, some are hands, some are feet, some are teeth, some are ear hair, maybe. Um, I knew someone who said that they had the spiritual gift of being earwax. And I was like, really? That's nasty. And she said, well, I have the ability to discern, like, true teaching from false teaching. And isn't that what earwax does? Like it's like it filters things out. And I was like, wow, you just went deep and I thought you were joking, but you're serious. So she's earwax. There you go. But we're all one body. Um, we don't have to think about that anymore. Um, the point though is that if we're all one body, then what happens to one of us really, truly, honestly does affect us all. And that's how Jonathan felt about David's success. Well, 1 Samuel 18 goes on. Verse 4, it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, this might seem weird to you if you don't understand the royal imagery that's going on between these two. Um, the king had a special royal robe. The king's family, it, it was clear by what they wore who the king was. It was also clear by what he wore who the king's line was. And so the king had a special royal robe. He had royal armor and weapons. And what's Jonathan saying here? Jonathan's saying, David, you are the heir that my birthright says I am. saying, you are God's king, not me. And I am on your side. He's saying, David, you have my sword and my bow. This is true friendship. This is true friendship. Jonathan sees David's success, not even as his own success, but also Jonathan sees David's success as God's success. And he's saying here, David, you are God's choice, and so you are my choice. I want you to succeed. And the name Jonathan is also just a wonderful part of this story because Jonathan's name means... God gives. And Jonathan's friendship is this incredible gift to David. Do you have friends that are like this? Friends who delight in you, delight in your success, who are rooting for you. Um, friends who want like God's best for you despite what happens to them. Are you this kind of a gift to the friends in your life? Well, soon after this, Saul's reaction to David changes. So Saul next becomes jealous of David. So he goes from delighting in David to being jealous of David. Jealousy that evil monster, that weed like crept into Saul's heart and it grew and grew and began to take over. And the sin of jealousy lured Saul into evil. Um, and there's lots and lots of details that we can't go into all the details, but uh, I invite you to read the narrative on your own. But Saul promoted David to become commander of the army. 
because he was explicitly hoping that something might happen to David on the front lines and the Philistines might kill him. Because if that were to happen, then there's a clear pathway for Saul's line to continue. But David continued to have great success. Um, As the commander of the army, Saul watched his success. And it says that Saul was in fearful awe of David. And that's big because Saul could see that God was with David, but Saul continued to harden his heart. Do you have those moments in your life where you kind of know what you're doing is wrong and it gets brought up and you sort of have this opportunity of like, oh, I'm being called on this. Sometimes it's overt, sometimes it's not overt, sometimes it's subtle, but you're like, oh, I have an opportunity to go in a different direction. And you don't. You harden your heart. Saul could see that God was not on his side. Saul could see that God was not supporting what Saul was doing. Um, But instead of making things right, he hardened his heart. Because Saul wanted his way more than he wanted God's leadership for his people. And as I thought about this, before we started with Lent, we were looking through, we were studying through the book of Romans, right? And in Romans 6, there's this discussion about the old self and the new self. And the old self is who you are without God and his power and love. And the new self is who you are filled with God and who God is and all of his love and power. Well, Saul actually becomes Jonathan's old self. So you want to know what Jonathan would look like? if Jonathan didn't have God's power or God's love in him, it's Saul. Like without God, Jonathan would be Saul. And it's not just that Saul is Jonathan's old self, but Saul's our old self too. I mean, it is so easy to be jealous of others, isn't it? It is so easy to be jealous of the success of other people. It's so easy for that, like that, that seed of jealousy to get planted in our hearts when other people get lucky breaks that we don't get. When other people seem to have opportunities that no matter what we do or how hard we try, just don't seem to come our way. And that jealousy, it gets in. We constantly compare ourselves to other people. They look better than we do. They have more money than we do. They've got, I mean, just the the list goes on and on and on. And this jealousy that's in our hearts tends to grow out of a root. There's a root inside of us, this lie. There's a lie that that, that we believe. um, And that lie says, you know what? You deserve more than you have. Like that's a lie that we end up clinging to. Um, there's a lie that says, you know what? You're better than that other person is. Like you deserve this more than they do. There's another lie actually that also is part of what produces this kind of jealousy in relationships. And, and, that's, and I don't think we very often think this consciously, but um, sometimes we are tempted to live as though we believe that God doesn't know what he's doing. Because God, if you really knew what you were doing, I would have what that person has. Right? Clearly, God, you don't know 
you don't understand what justice is. You don't understand how much I deserve, right? We think God doesn't know what he's doing. And all the while, all the while that jealousy is taking over more and more and more of our hearts, we are blind to what God is actually trying to do in our lives. When you feel like you're on the short end of the stick, when you feel like someone else has more than you, when you feel like you have friends that you're jealous of, in those moments when you give into your jealousy, you are blind to what God is trying to do. God is actively trying to do something when you feel this way and you are blind to see it. You can't see it and so you miss out. God is trying, he's working, he is present, he is with you and you won't see it because your jealousy has blinded you. What is God doing, right? It's one thing to say it, but it's, I got to deliver, right? Well, what does that mean? Like, what is God doing then? How can I see it? Because I'd be willing maybe if what you say sounds compelling or pleasing to me, maybe I'll follow God or maybe I'll join him in what he's doing. Well, let's see how Jonathan reacts and see if maybe he might be a key to this. Because the last time Jonathan followed after Saul, right? Saul delighted in David. Jonathan delighted in David. If Saul gets jealous, is Jonathan going to follow his dad again? Well, let's read for uh, 1 Samuel 19. It says this, verse 1. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. So he delighted much in David. Verse 4. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David because he hasn't sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So, what was Jonathan's reaction? Not jealousy, but Jonathan defended David. Jonathan defended David. The verse has said that he delighted much. I mean, there's real heartfelt friendship there. This isn't Jonathan going, oh gosh. Yeah, he's the guy God chose, so I guess I need to support him. I guess. That's not Jonathan. No, no, he delighted in David. There was a real friendship there. No jealousy, but he defended David to Saul. He stood up to his dad. He stood up to the king. Jonathan spoke so well of David, he convinced Saul, the king, to restore David. Right? Saul had sent David off, hopefully to die. And Jonathan now convinces Saul, and because of this, David is brought back into Saul's court. And so, like, you need to hear this. Jonathan is not jealous, but he is enthusiastically supportive of and defending of David. He's enthusiastically supportive of David. Jonathan could have used Saul's jealousy as an excuse to get his own glory. 
but he goes out of his way to lift David up. He's saying, David, this is your calling. You are God's choice. I will not be jealous, but I will defend you. And so, what is God doing in Jonathan's life? Right? What is God doing in your life when you are on the bottom end of a jealousy tension? Right? Here it is. I think that Jonathan realized this. Jonathan realized this. He won't be God's next king, but God's next king needs a friend to support him on the path to the throne. Jonathan realized that God wanted him to be the friend that David needed to become the king that God wanted. Can you receive that today in your life? Jonathan realized that God wanted him to be the friend that David needed so that David could become the king that God wanted. Without Jonathan, David doesn't become the king that Israel needed. There are people in your life who don't need you to be jealous of them. They don't need you to cut them down. They don't need you to talk bad about them. They don't need you to wish that God would bring them down to your level. They desperately need someone in their life who will delight in them and defend them, who will rejoice with them, who will support them. And God is giving you an opportunity. God is giving you an opportunity to lift someone else I'm developing a friendship with someone who for the last 25 years, his biggest claim to fame is that he opens for Jason Mraz. I don't think very many people know who he is, but they know that he's the guy who opens for Jason Mraz. And last night, I was like, well, what's that like? Like, how is that for you? And he said, for the last 25 years, I've been able to hang out with my best friend. I'm like, wow, that's, that's I'm going to be preaching on that tomorrow. <laughs> um, that's what Jonathan is. Do you have a friend like this? What's one of the best ways to get a friend like this? Yeah, it's to be a friend like this. You need these people in your life, but you need to be this person in the lives of the people around you. Parents, you need this. Kids need this. Spouses need this. In friendship, in dating. So Jonathan defends David. So while Jonathan is getting better and better, Saul gets worse and worse. Um, So Saul goes from being jealous next to becoming murderous of David. 
Saul goes full-blown sociopathological. Um, they're in the throne room at one point, and this just something comes over Saul, and he takes a spear in the throne room, and he tries to hang David on the wall by, the, by his spear. Um, David escapes and runs off. So Saul sends troops to try to capture David in his home, and David and his wife pull a fast one that is literally still being done in movies and TV shows 3,000 years later today. The troops break in. They see David in his bed, and they pull back the covers, and there's a lump. <laughs> there's a big a bunch of cushions in the bed. David and his wife have lowered David out the window, and so he escapes out the window and runs off. And so we see the downward spiral of Saul, like sin has literally taken over his heart. It has controlled him. And friends, this is what happens. This is what sin does. You think you're playing with sin, you think it's not a big deal, but what happens is sin plants in our hearts and it grows. It grows, it begins to affect more and more and more of who we are. And so Saul is in this downward spiral. And the question is, what is Jonathan going to do? When Saul is murderous of David, Jonathan delivered David. Jonathan delivered David. There's this crazy conversation that goes on between David and Jonathan, where David goes to Jonathan and he's like, man, what have I done? Why does Saul want to kill me? And Jonathan says, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Like, Saul doesn't want to kill you. If he did, I would know. David's like, you idiot. Saul knows that you're on my side. He's not going to tell you because he knows you'd tell me. And then Jonathan says, well, all right, look, whatever you want, I'll do. Like, tell me what you want. I'll find out if he wants to kill you. And then, you know what? I'll risk my life to let you know. And so Jonathan devises this scheme to communicate to David without anyone else knowing that Jonathan's communicating to David, because if he does that, then Saul may off him. And here's how this conversation then ends. When Jonathan tells David, yes, it's true, Saul is trying to kill you, you need to run. This is what, uh, what Jonathan then says to David in 1 Samuel 20. He says, bro, may the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So he is assuring David. He's saying, David, you have God's promises. You've got God's blessing. You're going to come back and you're going to reign. And when that happens, as you are removing the enemies of your land, of the land, don't count me or my family as among those enemies. I've been with you from the beginning. Don't forget me. Verse 16, And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So Jonathan and David, they renew their covenant together. 
And I love verse 17. It says, Jonathan made David swear again. Why is that important? Well, because it shows us that Jonathan wasn't a pushover. Okay, sometimes you kind of read stories, you can develop images in your head, and what this verse keeps us from doing is painting an image as though David's this like rough and tumble stud guy, and Jonathan's like this cowering sort of loser type guy who just wants to give David everything he possibly can, and oh, I'm going to defend you, David. Oh, I delight in you, David. Oh, I'm going to, you know, like that's not what's going on here. Jonathan is, like Jonathan wasn't a pushover. Jonathan had boundaries, we could say. And he required David to commit himself and to swear before the throne of God himself. Right? And so this is real friendship. Okay? Real friendship is not being a doormat. It's not letting someone walk all over you. Real friendship is not having no opinions and just being there to do whatever it is the person wants you to do. That's not real friendship. Real friendship also makes demands It calls for commitment both to God and to the friendship. Real friendship does this. Healthy marriages do this, right? Healthy dating relationships are characterized by this. And so if you're in a relationship where it's all one-sided and you feel like you're being bulldozed, that's not good. It's not a healthy relationship. You need to get help. Um, You need to expect that in the best relationships that you have, especially in the church, that sometimes your friend or the person in relationship with you is going to tell you things that you don't want to hear. When that happens while you get defensive, (laughs) while you begin to make excuses, while you begin to try to distance yourself, like tell yourself, remind yourself in that moment, wait, this is really good for me. This is part of God's design for me. You need to be someone who is willing to say things to someone else that they may not want to hear. It's difficult, it's challenging, it's hard because when you care about somebody, you don't want to hurt their feelings. But the best friendships make demands. The best friendships have accountability. And so Jonathan is this enormous encouragement to David. You can see why and how Jonathan is a huge part of how David could make it to become the amazing king that he was. With a guy like Jonathan, you've got a road in front of you. Um, David could see God in Jonathan. David could hear God speak to him through Jonathan. And we need friends like this. We need to be friends like this. And so... This week, this week, we need to take steps in this direction. This week, I want you to experience Jesus through others. Okay, I want you to receive Jesus. I want you to learn more about Jesus through other people who are sharing his love and his wisdom with you. And then I want you to show Jesus to others by caring for them and encouraging them. 
You can do this. You can do this. If you're a Christian, Romans 15, 14 says this. It says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So you can do this because Jesus has done this for you. You can be this kind of friend because Jesus has been this kind of friend to you. Jesus delights in you. Jesus has defended you with his own death on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And Jesus has delivered you from the power of sin in his resurrection so that you can live a new life. And so now you get to be a gift to others this week. So are you willing to do this? Are you willing to take a step to become a friend like this to someone else this week? I'm going to give you the line that I gave to our first service that a young gentleman used and got a date with a girl using this line. So whether or not you need a date, but here's the line. I want you to say this to someone this week in our church. Will you be my Lent assignment this week? Will you be my Lent assignment this week? How can you do this? Let me give you a few ways. This is just a summary of what's on on this little sheet. We're trying to make this practical. We're trying to make you able to walk in this this week in very practical ways. So first, first, write notes of encouragement to five people. So I know we've got people, people in our church, and then we have non-people, people. So look, the first thing that we're doing is we're telling all of you non-people, people, you don't even have to see anybody. Okay? I'm going to challenge you a little bit in a second. But for right now, you don't have to see anybody. Just write a note. Send an email. Write a text. Tell someone what you see in them that God is doing. Tell someone how much you appreciate what they have meant to you in your own life. Um, that's a good thing. So send, you can write notes of encouragement. Two, visit a life group this week. Okay, life groups are where God and our relationship with him often becomes real. Okay, I'm going to describe our life groups in a way that is probably going to sound more spiritual than what your actual experience will be, but it's still true. Life groups are places where Jonathans come together and befriend each other. Like life groups are where people come together and they just talk about life and how they're doing and how, where God is in their life and how they can help each other to chase after Jesus and to know him better. Um, and so go to a life group, visit a life group, um, begin to experience Jesus in community with others. If you're in a life group, then this week, use your life group to practice encouraging each other. Um, just go around the circle and have people share what do we see, like, Here's what we see in you. Here's what we see God doing in you. Here's what we appreciate about you. It can be an incredibly powerful time of encouragement. Or if the group is new and you don't know each other well enough, then just have everybody share what God is doing in their life, what they're learning about God. That can be also a really wonderful time. Then three, spend time with a friend or a family member. Grab coffee 
or a beer or a meal with somebody. And go. So for you people, people, this can be easy for you, right? It's easy. You like spending time with people. So go do this, but make sure that in that time, you actually talk about your relationship with Jesus. Ask, ask the other person, how's your relationship with Jesus going? And then share how yours is going. What has God been teaching you lately? And then share what you've been learning, right? It's that simple. And for you non-people people, I know it can be challenging, but I want you to stretch yourself this week. Last week, I stretched myself. I was uncomfortable. I did a lot of things I didn't want to do or wouldn't have preferred to do, but God met me there. And I want you to know that even if you're not a people person, that there are things that Jesus wants to teach you that he will not teach you outside of you being in a relationship with somebody else. And so stretch yourself. Take a step out. If you're nervous, then... You know, that's why you have coffee or a beer, you know? Give you something to do while you're, like, thinking about what you're supposed to say. And just ask those same questions. How's your relationship with Jesus? What have you been learning lately? And then have something that you're willing to share with them. Okay, and then fourth and finally, Friday, attend the speaker series on race. Right, come to this. Dr. Paul Minifee will be speaking on race and loving your neighbor he was called on recently, the last couple of months, to work with the women's basketball team at SDSU this year when a conflict broke out about how the team was going to respond to the national anthem playing before their games. And so there was conflict on the team. Some of the players wanted to kneel, and some of the players wanted no one to kneel. And they brought him in and he worked with them. He worked with the team to help them to seek common ground in the midst of the diversity of opinions. The story's great. You want to come and hear it. It's the kind of practical stuff that can help you to have something to offer when discussions of politics can come up um, in the workplace or with neighbors and friends and stuff. So come on Friday, Covenant Church in North Park. But in all of this, in all of this, like this week, let's love each other as friends like Jonathan. Right? That's the goal. Let's give God's gifts of love and encouragement to each other, remembering that God has given us his greatest gift in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for stories like this that are so real, they're part of who we are. And we thank you for people like Jonathan that can inspire us, that show us our sin, show us how short we fall, but then draw us closer to you. Jesus, thank you for loving us how you have, for being this kind of friend to us, empower us to reach out and to seek you through the relationships that we have. This week, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.